turn around and say hello to somebody. Hi, how you doing? God bless you. Good to see you out tonight. Thank you. You may be seated. All right, very quickly, don't forget that this week, Wednesday night, 7.30, don't miss it or tune in. Thank you so much and uh, be part of our Bible study in 2 Corinthians on Wednesday night. Saturday, be out for cleaning at 9, 10 o'clock visitation and next Sunday, our last Sunday of the month. God's going to give us a message that we want to share. Thank you so much for your faithful giving and we continue to give to our Nehemiah Project to finish up the physical improvements around here as we approach our 60th anniversary. Now, our building has a little more age on it than that, and so we're trying to get it fixed up. But everybody who spoke to me had good things to say about the, the patching up and the repairs that are out here, and looks like it always was right. That's, that's what I want. I want people to say, hey, just it, I didn't no, notice anything that was out of the ordinary, and that's exactly what we want. So praise the Lord. Thank you so much for making that possible by your faithful giving. Don't stop. Just keep on. And you are a very generous people. God bless you. Don't forget to give to our other funds as well. well we're talking tonight, as I said, a continuation of this morning, which is don't settle for shallow Christianity. So many of the folks that we have run into in visita on visitation and in our in our witnessing and counseling, are people who have not been taught correctly. And uh, as you know, I've, uh, I've given you the Baptist distinctives as they were given to me. Now, there are different ways. There are those who use an acrostic that spells out Baptist, and that's fine. A little difficult to, to get. I know what it is, but it's a little difficult to get it. Uh, uh, not, not as well understood as what I was taught back at Bible college, back at... Uh, Pillsbury Bible College, which no longer exists, where I started, and then went to Maranatha, our, uh, our teacher, Dr. Richard Weeks, was very careful to teach every single student that came through. Every student was required to learn Baptist distinctives. Do you know that most of the proselytes that Mormons have uh, among their number in the United States were former Baptists? Uh, Southern Baptists, yes, Independent Baptists also, because I'll tell you the difference. Mormons know what they believe, and Baptists generally don't. And, uh, and what, what we believe is right and what they believe is wrong, I'll just say that. I'm not trying to pick a fight, just, just telling it like it is, all right? I want you to put this down in the form of an acrostic. Now, many of you have it written down in your Bibles already. B-R-A-P-S-I-S, -S, and the S has a little two after it. The B stands for the Bible is our sole authority for faith and practice. We don't have some other book. We don't have um, Mary Ellen White's books and, and others as well, all right? So the Baptist uh, belief is that the Bible is our sole authority for faith and practice. R stands for regenerated church membership. People don't get born the first time into our church like they do Lutherans and Catholics and so forth in their religious uh, tradition. But you have to be born again. Can I get an amen on that? John 3, 3. All right, A stands for autonomous church government. That means that there's nothing above the local church. And we may fellowship with other Baptists, and uh, we may even associate in some cases. We're careful. Uh, we're kind of unassociated, unaffiliated fellowshippers. But you know what I'm saying. We don't join with anything that has any authority over the local church. The highest human authority 
is the local church when it meets in business session and uh, the pastor simply moderates, I have the same number of votes you have. I've got one. And, uh, and uh, as the Holy Spirit guides us and directs us, there's great, great unity uh, in this body. So the autonomous church government, P, stands for the priesthood of the believer. That means that we can come directly into God's presence through Jesus Christ. Amen. We don't have to have any other mediator. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen on that? All right. S stands for soul liberty. That means I will fight for your right to believe anything you want to. If you want to believe that the moon is made out of cheese, you can believe that. I will fight for your right to believe that as long as it doesn't hurt somebody else. But what you believe, even though I fight for your right to believe it, may cause you not to be a Baptist. So Baptists only believe what Baptists believe. But if you believe something else, I'll fight for your right to believe even if it's wrong because we believe in soul liberty. The Baptists were the ones who were responsible in the colonies and thereafter in the early formation of our government here as a republic in people having the right to choose their own consciousness, their own conscience, uh, soul liberty. I stands for immersion and the Lord's Supper, the only two ordinances of the local church. These are not our ordinances. You and I don't own them. They are passed from local church to local church as it is rightly established. Only a church can start a church. And those churches, we believe, go in an unbroken line back to the time of Jesus Christ. Now, I can't prove your unbroken line, but we believe there is one all the way back to Jesus Christ. People have always believed what we believe. They weren't always called Baptists, but they were called Anabaptists by the enemy because adults were getting saved and getting immersed following their adult salvation and they had been sprinkled or poured upon as children. And so the enemy said, oh, they're getting baptized again, Anabaptists. But we've dropped the A-N-A, and we just call ourselves Baptists, all right? Now, the last S in Brapsis has a two after it. It stands for separation. Preached on this last week, didn't I? There's ethical separation, which is personal, and that's covered in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, and 20. And then there's ecclesiastic or ecclesiastical separation, which is church separation, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. We don't yoke up with unbelievers or those who are not in agreement with us. If I were to yoke up with other people who are sincere but sincerely wrong, you'd end up getting confused. Your kids would end up intermarrying, and they would go on, and they would have offspring, and they would be confused. So we're not going to encourage that sort of thing but rather separation. It's not isolation, but separation is, is that which we have uh, unto Christ from the world, the flesh, and the devil. So you have your Baptist distinctives, and uh, I believe those with all of my heart. How many of you believe them? Say amen. You better. You better believe them. All right. We're going to have words otherwise. Okay. Uh, I appreciate those who have taken time to write down what we believe, and why we practice what we practice. We have a Constitution, Articles of Faith and Bylaws, Central Baptist Church, Woodbridge, Virginia. On the front of our little booklet, it says, Adopted December 8, 2002. There's a reason for that. That is about six months after I became pastor of the church. And when we came, uh, I asked the deacons, in fact, I asked the pulpit committee if they had the bylaws. And unfortunately... A prior leadership had lost the bylaws, if, if such a thing is imaginable. And so what was done was we took the uh, 
the bylaws from which they were taken from another church when this church was founded. Uh, way back when, when Harry Owens, Pastor Harry Owens, founded the church uh, out of a, a church that he came. And so those were taken. And then page by page, article by article, number by number, letter by letter, we went through it. We took six months. We, every week we met. And there were people who met with us and we went over things and we hammered out the wording. And the punctuation, the capitalization may not be correct, but the essence of what here is correct. This is what then was voted upon. In other words, was re-established as the bylaws. These were sent in uh, so that people know what we stand for, even though uh, we are not uh, officially incorporated the way every worldly institution would be. Uh, there at the state level, the, the Attorney General knows what we believe. And if anybody ever calls us on it, uh, my friend Dr. David Gibbs uh, would tell you, he'd be the first one to say, uh, we believe this, look, 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 we believe this, the Bible. This is just an outward expression for people's curiosity as to what we believe about this. And if this ever disagrees with this, we go with this. All right? Amen. But uh, this is to help people. It's kind of a shortcut. And uh, I'd like to read something to you that was placed here. And this was because it was in the, the previous bylaws, and this was accepted. It's uh, instrument number one in the Declaration of Faith of Central Baptist Church of Prince William County. This Baptist church is one which believes in a supernatural Bible. First statement, out the gate. We believe in a supernatural Bible. Now, hold your Bible up. If that's the King James Bible, we believe it's the inspired and preserved Word of God for the English-speaking world. Now, we don't believe that that inspiration first happened in 1604 uh, to uh, 1611 uh, when this was being translated from the manuscripts that were available. It's in the line of the Geneva Bible before that, other Bibles all the way back to, including Tyndale. It's, it's in a good line. It's the Antioch stream of manuscripts. We believe that. But inspiration did not occur initially when the King James translators, 54 of them, sat down to translate. The, the greatest translation group, humanly speaking, that ever walked the face of the earth. These men believed they were handling the very words of God. And the Holy Spirit did not breathe on them then that they initially got inspiration. The inspiration has always been and will always be from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21 in the words. The words are inspired. And we believe the underlying text is the Masoretic in the Old Testament and the Textus Receptus in the New. That that's the expression of the underlying text and it has been correctly translated at the right time in history by the right group of people, and that's why we stick with the old King James Bible. Anybody have a question? Don't raise your hand. Just say amen, all right? Amen, all right, there you go. Preacher, are you a fanatic? No, I just believe we have a supernatural Bible, just like the bylaws say. And in that case, I agree with this, all right? And that which tells of a supernatural Christ who had a supernatural birth, amen, who spoke supernatural words, who performed supernatural miracles, who lived in a supernatural life, who died a supernatural death, who rose in a supernatural splendor, who intercedes as a supernatural priest, and who will one day return in supernatural glory to establish a supernatural kingdom on the earth. We know he's first going to come back and take us to glory, and then seven years later, the battle of Armageddon, and 1,000 years 
of ruling and reigning. So there you have it, that expression. Once again, if this set of bylaws ever disagrees with this Bible right here, then this has got to be changed to go along with this because that's what we hold to. We hold to the old book. And this old Baptist, this old Baptist preacher, this old Baptist uh, believes in this old book. Amen. You say, even the difficult parts to understand, especially the difficult parts to understand. Absolutely. What I'm going to share with you tonight, words of some of the great uh, people of the past, they and I happen to agree, uh, they just happen to be before me. Not that I'm quoting them, but that, that would be all right if I did. We, we happen to agree, especially the difficult parts. And if you think that God is obligated to, to give you and me the understanding the instant we breathed our first breath or the instant we got saved or the instant we walked into this building to understand everything that's between the covers of this book, automatically that first moment, there's no such obligation in the Scripture. We are to believe it. We are to accept it. Now, I will probably, this side of heaven, never understand how it's possible, how, how God could love me and save me and keep me the way He does. But He does. I believe it because the Bible says so. And all the things that we have taught the boys and girls, from the cradle on up to the grave, all those things we've taught them, uh, we may not be able to figure it out, but we can faith it out. We can accept it because the Bible says so. There it is. There it is. And I want you to get what we're saying tonight because if God can't give us something that's a little difficult to understand, that takes some time until God reveals perfectly our understanding and our application of it so that we can understand and use it, why, we're, we're, we're a pitiful lot of people and our God is really, really uh, bankrupt if... Uh, if he hasn't got something there that the, the secret things are known to God and the secret things that he wants to reveal to us, that's fine. And those things that he doesn't want to reveal to us, that's fine too. That's okay. It is not the basis for us to disbelieve or believe less or believe with less fervor. I believe with intense fervor. Well, everything that's between these covers, even those things I don't completely understand. All right. So tonight, I hope you understand where we're coming from. My friend, Dr. David Sorensen, was a senior in Pillsbury Bible College when I was a freshman. He is the son of Dr. Sorensen of Pekin, Illinois, who's now with the Lord. His uncle was Austin Sorensen, whose sermons often appeared and still appear in the Sword of the Lord. And Dr. David Sorensen and I got along just fine. He was a trombone bass singer in, in the choir, and I was a trumpet-playing tenor singer. And I was a freshman, a preacher's kid, and he's a senior, a preacher's kid. And uh, when, uh, when that year ended, uh, Maranatha started. I went off to Maranatha, and, and uh, Brother Sorensen went off to Central Seminary, and he got his seminary degree. And afterwards, we reconnected again. I had him come up uh, to the church where we were serving in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and he did uh, a, a series of, of uh, uh, bus lectures uh, he was excellent in the church bus ministry, uh, and he has now become one of the senior statesmen. I hate to say this, but we've, uh, we've lived long enough to see the day. Uh, I still have my hair. He's lost his, but mine is gray, and, and what he has left is gray. But, 
uh, he, he stands up and he teaches wonderful truths about our inspired and preserved Bible. And he believes that, like I do, that because our New Testament is correctly and accurately translated from the Textus Receptus that we have the preserved words of God for the English-speaking world. That's the way we arrived at this. Now, there are some people that have a different view. They don't know anything about Textus or Receptus, and, and so they, they just, like I was all along, I was always taught from the King James Bible. My dad went to the mat back in the 1950s, the late 1950s. My dad and my mom had taken a little church, a mission church in Los Altos, California. I was nine months of age at the time, and dad took that church through five building programs in about 11 years and was running five or 600 in attendance when a group of deacons came to him and were upset with him, and they had been, uh, they had been riled up by another Baptist pastor whose brother wanted the church and, ever, and eventually ended up with that church. And my, my dad took his stand, and as a result of that, he uh, voluntarily resigned that pastorate, moved on, and I'm glad he did because we went to Minnesota. We could have gone to uh, Port Wyneme in California. That was one church he had offered to him. A couple of other churches out on the East Coast. But he took in uh, South St. Paul, Minnesota, the uh, First Calvary Baptist Church because it was there. I eventually met this lady right over here. And I know God has a way of getting the right people together, but that sure worked out for us really well, didn't it, sweetie? Amen after 53 wonderful years of bliss. So my dad uh, moved on. But the reason why the deacons got upset with my dad was because my dad had taken a stand for the King James Bible in the 1950s, in the 1950s against the Revised Standard Version, which is a perversion of the Word of God based on another text. What I learned uh, so many times along the way the reasons for what we believed, just establishing again the right thing. You see, this Bible, this Bible is based upon a stack of about 6,000 extant manuscripts throughout the world, all right, in the New Testament, about 6,000. And over here there's a stack of 500 to 600, and they're called the minority or the critical text. And so the Revised Standard Version and every other English translation is based at least in part upon these critical texts. Whereas only the King James, the old King James, the 1611, is based solely upon these 6,000 manuscripts over here. Now, there may be here and there a, a letter or a word that may differ slightly between the different copies, and we understand that. So they have established, I'm talking about experts, a method whereby they determine here 89% of the time it's this word. Here 93% of the time it's that word. And based upon that, that majority uh, text is the textus receptus of the New Testament of our Bible. Say, so, well, what about, what about this one? What about that one? Every other English translation and paraphrase is based on the minority text in the New Testament, at least in part. There are some that uh, pretty much the same. They might have changed the these and the thous. They might have changed some things. But then they have inserted 500 minority text readings. And that's what you have with the New King James. And that's what you have with many other things. Now, the New King James, now I know there are people that absolutely swear by the New King James, but 
Not only is the New Testament containing 500 minority text readings that are absolutely false, that are not in the Word of God, but the New King James, the, the entire Old Testament was based upon a completely different Hebrew text. Totally different. Why they would overthrow the text that Jesus quoted from is beyond me, but they did it for whatever, novel reasons. Maybe to have the latest things. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people are that way. they got to have cha-ching, the latest, <laughs> whatever it is, cha-ching. And when it comes to Bibles, you don't want the latest cha-ching, something that, will, that we can sell you, that we can peddle you. But what you want is something that will stand the test of time, something that's real, something that's genuine. And I've got that Bible. Somewhere in your notes, if you, if you contain a Bible with notes, there is a very great likelihood that it will say the oldest and best manuscripts do not contain this phrase, do not contain this verse, and so forth. What you need to do is very neatly in your Bible, not the text of the King James, but the, but the notes that say that, you need to take a very fine line pen and blot it out. Not the verse, but the note that says the oldest and best manuscripts do not contain this. What that's referring to is a myth. Dr. David Sorensen, who's my dear friend, has online available, and you can go on, look up Dr. David Sorensen, and he will, among those things that are on YouTube, you can listen to him explain at length the, the mythology, the, the phoniness, the scamminess of what's known as the oldest and best manuscripts. It used to be, we, we had swallowed this hook, line, and sinker, that because the devil is no dummy, what was mistranslated and intentionally changed, we have two sets. Remember, we've got the majority, the Textus Receptus. We've got the minority, the critical text over here. We believe this. Not that mistakes were made, but intentional changes were made. These are the Antioch documents these are the Alexandrian documents. And there was a school at Alexandria that systematically changed the virgin birth of Jesus to just a young woman. The blood of Jesus Christ to the death of Christ. Uh, certain words were changed in the underlying text. And those things have come through so that all the major doctrines are attacked in some place or other. Even if even if the claim that, well, you can still get saved. Yes, you can. There's enough of the truth among all the error over here that you can get saved. I have led people to Christ using all manner of translations because there's enough of the gospel in there and they just happen to have one sitting on their shelf and I opened it up and I said, well, let's try it over in this book. But I've been able to lead people to Christ using those perverted translations. I wouldn't try to live by them, though. What a mistake. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every what? Word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Amen. So tonight, as we think about this, I want to debunk something. And I'm borrowing heavily from Dr. David Sorensen, who said, when you're dealing with the TR, the Texas Receptus, versus the minority or the critical text, the argument on the part of those who have, who have uh, intentionally altered the truth, have, have altered what God has written, uh, 
is resting entirely on the supposed antiquity of these minority uh, manuscripts over here. We used to say this, from 1980, 1990 to 2000 to 2010, up until the recent past, I have said, the devil is no dummy. And so instead of having these manuscripts written on papyrus, which is made of reeds out of the riverbank, which kind of disintegrate, and so you don't have a lot of first century. We do have some first century, second century, third century. Instead, there is a higher percentage of second and third century manuscripts written on vellum or animal skin, and the devil's not stupid, so that's what he did. Dr. Sorensen opened my eyes. God bless you, David. I love you, brother. Man, I tell you what, I appreciate it. He pointed out that the Vaticanus and the Sinaiticus, which are the two manuscripts, they always said was the oldest and the best. All right, One was found in a trash can in a monastery. The other was held in the Vatican for 10 or 12 centuries. I really trust that, don't you? But people have gotten up close and have examined it. And those who have seen these manuscripts, actual manuscripts, say that those manuscripts are just as white as this paper. Old manuscripts that go back to the 2nd and 3rd century are not this white. Just that white. Let me give you a second one. This is going to blow your mind. They have the appearance of age. They have wormholes in them. But isn't it interesting, Dr. David Sorensen says, that whoever wrote down those changed words in those minority manuscripts happened to write up and around every wormhole. If the writing were that old, the wormholes would go through the words. So the next time somebody tries to tell you it's the oldest and the best manuscripts, uh, we've got a little something to say to them. It's a scam. It's a scam. They're not even the oldest. They're definitely not the best. What we have, we have some first century fragments, some second and third century manuscripts, and these all support the Antioch style and writing, the majority text, the TR, upon which only the King James Bible is supported in the English language. I'm just trying to help you tonight. I hope this will help you. Over in uh, Mountain States Baptist College, Great Falls, Montana, is uh, a great Bible teacher by the name of Dr. Richard Jonas. Now, I know him because Dr. Richard Dion was uh, the, the pastor of that great church, and he went to school with my older brother. He went to Pillsbury, and I know Dr. Jonas's work, and Dr. Jonas is very good. He says, as for doctrine being essential to true Christianity, there would be no Christianity without uh, correct instruction on how to become and grow and serve as a Christian. That statement itself is worth the entire price of my sword of the Lord <laughs> from which I took this. Absolutely correct. Dr. Dion's uh, head of, of his theology department, Dr. Jonas, has said a mouthful. The reason we want a perfect Bible is not so we can say, look at us, we've got a perfect Bible. And any Christians, any fundamentalists, any independent Baptists who do that have the wrong motivation. I want to be able 
to know with confidence every word that I read is God's preserved word. Every word of it. And I like the chorus, every promise in the book is mine. Now, I understand we have to rightly divide. Every chapter, every verse, every line. Amen. It's been written. It's been written so that we can have guidance and direction in this troublesome world. Amen. Not every scripture is written about me. Not every scripture is written to me. But every scripture, all scripture, is written for me. Amen? Amen. I want you to have faith in this book so that the decisions and the choices you make as to what job you're going to work, what education you're going to get, where you're going to live, uh, what, um, what person you're going to marry, uh, the, the people with whom you're going to have anything to do, all those choices and decisions on an everyday basis are based entirely upon and can be supported by a book made up of words that God breathed that we still have. What kind of a God would give us the inspired word that would expire? And yet there are people today who say, well, the original manuscripts and only the original manuscripts, and I've heard this, I've had people who have purported to be pastors, God-called pastors, who have been through a Bible college and a seminary education or advanced degrees, and they have said to me, well, uh, the Bible does not promise that translations would, would contain or maintain inspiration. And I feel like my mentor, who sometimes would say, this is not very kind, but it is accurate, he would say something like this. He would say, is there anything else that you're particularly stupid about or is this the only thing that you're stupid about? My, 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 my. I thank God for Brother Van Cleek and his family who attended here until they, they've just moved now, moved down into the southern part of the state. He written a wonderful book that uh, uh, is one of three that have been written about the particular verse I'm going to give you right now. Go to Psalm chapter 12. Psalm 12. And let me say from the outset, I understand the context. The context of these psalms together is the attack upon God's people and the attack upon God's Word. And sometimes we have an overlap. Just like God preserves His people, He preserves His Word. And in Psalm 12, 6 and 7, I want you to notice what the Scripture says. The words of the Lord, plural, are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Now continue on. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Yes, there are verses all around about God's people being preserved. But the verse that's right next to it has the direct reference, and you see it there, the direct reference to the words of the Lord that are pure words, that are kept, that are guarded, and the Lord has promised that we would have those words. Another one of my mentors that taught me, and I'm so glad that he did, he said, now, here it is. I believe that the King James Bible is the inspired and preserved Word of God for the English-speaking world. And if it is not, you have an obligation to go wherever it is throughout this world and search it out and find the one that is. Because if this is not, 
then you need to because Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, quoting Deuteronomy, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. If you haven't got every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God, how can you possibly live by it? Good question. I've never had one of these Bible correctors ever explain it to me. I'm very thankful. I've, I've got a copy of the Schofield Study Bible, but I've crossed out the note about the oldest and the best. And Schofield was very good. Many of the ideas he had were influenced by Mr. Darby, and so he is not exactly an independent Baptist, but he is uh, in many ways in terms of prophecy and, and in terms of interpretation with respect to the church, as he speaks of it, and uh, Israel. Uh, we see the differences clearly illustrated for us. And I'm very thankful for what uh, Mr. Schofield was able to produce here. Uh, his notes are not inspired, but they are very good and they're very helpful, except for those that say the oldest and best manuscripts do not contain this phrase or that phrase or whatever. I'm glad that I've got the truth right here. Now, in Dr. Van Cleek's book that he has just completed, it's gone up online, it's gone viral. Psalm 12, 6 and 7. He supports from the ancient writers, those that interpreted back in the Middle Ages, those early uh, forefathers of ours, those interpreters of Scripture. They said this refers to, this refers to both those that he is preserving and what he is preserving, which is the words, the words that make up our Bible. There you go. So when a, when a man who is educated beyond his intelligence says to me, well, translations are not inspired. What are you talking about? What kind of God do you have that can't get it from, uh, from Hebrew uh, into English or Hebrew into some other language or Greek into English or Greek into some other language? God is perfectly capable of doing that. And in every case where we have the word translate used in the Bible, the end result is better than the former. Now, I, I am not saying that the English is superior to the Hebrew or the Greek. I'm saying how many people are, are experts here in Hebrew or Greek? I'm glad we've got it in English. God has very, very, very kindly provided it for us. And if you get yourself a really, really good concordance and a really, really good dictionary. I like the Webster's 1828 of English. And you start comparing, you're never going to have any question what God is talking about. You may not be able to put two and two together. You may not be able to apply it right away. But it's just like uh, David Otis Fuller said, and I quoted him this morning. He said, we always give the benefit to the King James Bible. Just keep at it. Just keep reading it. Just keep reading it. You know, I was in the the ministry for a number of years before I would preach that great passage in Colossians chapter 1 where it speaks of the Lord Jesus as being preeminent. You say, you mean you skipped over that? I just didn't preach it until God gave me an understanding that I felt was adequate in order to give it to the people. What kind of a parent would you be if your infant child we're sitting there in his or her high chair. And uh, you said, well, listen, I've got some steak over here. And you cut a big old piece of steak and you gave it to Junior to have. And Junior began to joke. What kind of parent would you be? You don't do that. The most you do with that steak is you puree it and mix it with some other food. 
And don't you always love the, the way they, they market baby food and how lovely it looks, Tom? I mean, I've, I have looked at some of that and I say, man, I'm not sure if this is supposed to be eaten or if it's already been. I'm not for sure the way that looks. But when it's pureed, okay, when it's, when it's digestible, that's when you give it to Junior. It's the same thing. The preacher shouldn't step in the pulpit try to preach somebody else's notes. Preach somebody else's message. Should preach what God has given him. Even though it may be difficult, it may be that you're just on the cusp of getting it. There you have it. What I've said to you tonight already is this, that the Bible and all of its synonyms, we have the law, we have the commandments, we have the statutes. Yeah, over there in uh, Psalm 119, all of those 10 or 12 uh, synonyms are all referring to the Bible. Just think Bible when you read that. Number one, it is pure. It is pure. It purifies us. Purifies us. Anything that is pure can uh, purify and can make clean that which needs uh, preservation, that which needs uh, assimilation. I read in Psalm 18, the word of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect, and it makes my way perfect. I love Psalm 18, verse 30, 31, and 32. It makes my way perfect. It has an effect on me. So it's pure. It's perfect. I would not want to take a, a mere um, a paraphrase and say, this is my final authority. I would not want to take a minority text uh, perversion, mistranslation, and say, this is my final authority. I make it clear, you can get saved in one of those, but you can't live successfully in one of those. You need to have that which is pure. If I took a glass of water and I took a spoonful of filth and I put it in the water and mixed it up and handed it to you, you wouldn't drink it. If you're in your right mind, you wouldn't drink it no matter how thirsty you are. If you saw me put that filth in there, and if I said to you, oh, but, but it's well blended, it's well mixed in there. I mean, you can hardly see. It's a little filmy. It's a little, it's a little dark, but go ahead and drink it anyway. It's not so bad. There aren't big, huge lumps of filth in there. That's what you get when you get a perversion or a paraphrase that is not your final authority. man came to our church several years ago, stepped out in the aisle, came down, said to me, I want to join the church. I said, okay. Ask him about salvation. Ask him about his baptism. Ask him about his current membership. And he said, such such a church. And I looked at him and I said, if you've got a problem with the pastor, you need to go back over there and talk to him. Before, before we ever have this membership go forward, he talked to him. He said, that's not the problem. He said, here's the problem. Oh, I said, that man's a, a Bible believer. He said, you're absolutely correct. He is a King James Bible believer, but he won't preach from the pulpit why he's a King James Bible believer. Going to stir things up. See, stir up a hornet's nest, get people upset. There are people in every congregation who will say this, well, I just like to keep four or five translations at home for comparison. Keep all the translations you want to. That's between you and, and, and the Lord. Uh, I happen to own probably every 
minority text Bible there is, but it's on my poison shelf. Beware. Be careful, all right? I don't take that to the bank. And I don't, I don't consult them to see what they say so that I might understand this. If you go to a typical independent Baptist Bible college today, here's what you're going to get. You may get them say, we only use the King James Bible in the pulpit. That's all we allow to be read from uh, in devotions and in messages and so forth. But if you then enroll in Greek 101, they're going to take you to a minority text and they're going to teach you from a minority text. And if you take the minority text and put it up alongside, and I tell every one of our preacher boys who end up in a place like that, don't split the place, don't burn it down. All right? Just tell them you don't agree with that process. And you're going to reserve the right, in addition to the text that they give you, the minority text, out of which you're going to do your vocabulary and so forth, because they're going to require that. You're going to bring a copy of J. Green's Interlinear. J. Green. Get yourself a J. J-A-Y, green, interlinear. That is the Textus Receptus, and in the center column of that interlinear, you'll have the Greek from the Textus Receptus, that is from the King James, with the literal word over each Greek word. Then along the edge, you'll have the King James for comparison. And you can take that and lay that alongside the minority text that they're forcing you to do your Greek out of, and you can correct what's wrong in the minority text, but you're going to find English, all right, in the, in the New Testament, in the New Testament, you're going to find, using your King James and your J. Green's interlinear, you're going to find 33,000 differences. Folks, we got us a mess. That's why our Bible Institute makes it very clear. What God wants to do is take a bunch of lay people and a bunch of God-called uh, folks that are going into the ministry and teach them from something that they have confidence in. You get to know the Lord through this book right here. Now, I don't mind how much Greek you learn or how much Hebrew or Aramaic you learn. That's all right. You're a Popchenko over there translating the Ukrainian scriptures out of our church, sent by our church, supported by our church. Praise God for him. And when he gets done, it will line up with our King James. But it's Ukrainian. And for the first time in human history, the Ukrainian people will have a Bible that's based, that's based upon the Masoretic in the Old Testament and the Textus Receptus in the New. And it's all right. He went to school for years and years and years to learn his Greek, for years and years and years to learn his Hebrew, because you can't just take a program and plug in, for example, the King James and then kind of like do a transfusion and plug into the Ukrainian because what you end up with, with the differences in the construction of the language, you'll end up with a book that when the Ukrainians open it up, they'll die laughing. And it has happened. Across Europe, there are some people, well-meaning people, who have taken a King James Bible and plugged it in to whatever the native language is, and when it came out, they couldn't even read it in their native language because the verbs and the nouns were all mixed up and all messed up and improper and incorrect. 
You've got to go back to your underlying basis, compare it with your King James, and make sure that it lines up. But you've got to start with understanding the basic languages, the underlying languages. That's why, here's what I'm saying. For us, it is far superior to understand what our King James English says because we're not experts in Hebrew. We haven't been to five years of Hebrew university. We haven't been to nine years of Greek university to be able to understand those words. We already had 54 translators who laid their lives on the line and translated in, in six, six different groups and diligently compared until every single surviving translator, 47 of them, agreed on every word. There has never, ever before or since been a Bible translation so pure. Number two, God has given us a powerful Bible. Hebrews 4.12, God's Word, what is it? It's quick, it's alive and powerful, and sharper than a two-edged sword. We believe it has the power, that it is alive, that it has the power to transform individuals spiritually. We believe that it can be trusted and believed so much so as to do the everyday, the mundane, and also the miraculous as God may allow. I believe in this book. I believe in memorizing it, loving it, speaking it, sharing it, there's no limitation to it. Daquan, when you're out there standing on the front line with your three-door presentation at the, at the fair, did you have any fear that anything that you were saying might not be true? No, you absolutely knew it was true, didn't you? Amen. Did you see God move on hearts? Did you see God actually do, did you see the power of God in action? I'm going to tell you how much we saw on, uh, on the last night, on, on Saturday. I'm going to tell you about it. And correct me if I'm wrong, Tyler. I want you just to speak up and say, that's wrong, Pastor. But if it's right, I want you to say, that's right, Pastor. All right. Here's what I saw. I saw God moving so mightily that when I was speaking to people about three things that God cannot or won't do because He's God, it would be a violation of who He says in His Word. And I started, I started to point. I started to point toward the three doors. The people I was speaking to were so moved by God, they started walking to the back to sit down with the counselors. They hadn't even seen the three-door presentation. And they went back there and they got saved. That's the power of God. To move it, you know, I, I've been, we've been soul winning. We've been out soul winning and talking to people that we've never met before. And as we're speaking to them, I can see in their eyes, I can see God grabbing onto them, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Why? It's because God is honoring His Word. This is a powerful book. I've seen people who have come to God through Christ. They got saved and they decided they were going to go all the way with the Lord. And I've seen God change, transform their lives. I've seen their, their habits, their pastimes, their associations totally change. See, this, this business of being a Christian is not simply a, 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 an occasional pastime, an avocation. It's, it's who we are, who we are in Christ. We're in Christ. We belong to Him. And this, this book right here has introduced us to this new realm. It may sound uh, a little uh, uh, mystical. It's not mystical. It's spiritual. The realm in which we have entered is spiritual. And the words, what did Jesus say? God's words are spirit. 
It is spiritual. It is powerful. Are you understanding what I'm saying tonight? We couldn't just possibly, you know, uh, stumble upon this. This is, in fact, the truth that it declares itself to be. It is, it is spiritual. It is powerful. It will make a difference in lives. It will do the miraculous. Number three, it is so practical. It is so practical. When God begins to work in the heart and life through the word, why people begin to live it out. And after a while, when you've begun to live out what the Bible says, it's like you always were that way. You can't believe that you weren't that way. You can't believe that you ever thought that way. Have, have you ever... Have you ever thought, did you ever stop to think, you know, before I got saved, I thought all those people that read the Bible and prayed and did those things, I thought they were nuts. Now I'm one of them. Anybody in that group? Huh? In that, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because we realize that God makes the changes. He does that. He changes us. So to clarify what I said this morning, and I, I want you to absolutely go with me uh, to Second Peter for just a moment. 2 Peter, chapter 1. Let's, let's pick it up at verse 12. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yeah, I think it meet or fitting, as long as I am in this tabernacle, in this body, Peter is saying, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. All right, there it is. And then he says this, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, I got to die, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able after my decease, after I die, to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For He received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to Him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with Him in the holy mount. That's Peter, James, and John up on the Mount of Transfiguration. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. That's what we're holding in our hands, the Bible. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Look at me. Would have been wonderful to be alive in Jesus' day and to hear him speak. But we've got a more sure word of prophecy. He said, it's hard to imagine. I would have rather heard Jesus. I would too, but we've got a more sure word of prophecy. We've got the written word of God. We don't have to just depend on our memory. We've got it written down. And it's been promised that it would be preserved, that it would be kept and guarded. That's what we've got. This old Baptist believes this old book with all of his heart. And the way that we are going to keep from ending up in dry dock I mean, you know, out of commission, not experiencing the abundant life is by staying in this book and being in this book until this book gets into us. So many things I'd like to say tonight I don't have time for. It was D.L. Moody, a great preacher of the 1800s, who said, I thank God there is a height in that book I do not know anything about, a depth I have never been able to fathom. 
and it makes the book all the more fascinating. If I could take that book up and read it as I can any other book and understand it at one reading, I should have lost faith in it years ago. It is one of the strongest proofs that the book must have come from God, that the acutest men who have dug for 50 years have laid down their pens and said, there is a depth we know nothing of. And that's still true. Just because we don't get everything first time through and don't apply it totally first time through because, because God hasn't revealed that, hasn't given us that illumination yet, doesn't mean that we shouldn't do those things that we have illumination on, those things that we do know. What part, what part of forsake not the assembling of yourselves together do we not understand? What part of go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature do we not understand? Those are the easy parts. I won't get into the parts that may be confusing. But as we have understanding, we can see. I'm so glad the day the Lord helped me to understand that there's nothing about predestination or election that means that in eternity past, there was a, a, a big lotto a lottery, and some people got predestined to automatically go to hell and could not get saved. When God revealed to me to be predestined to the image of Jesus Christ, predestined to be like Jesus, has to do with what His intention always was for people who are saved. People who call upon the name of the Lord. Those people, God's will... His perfect will is for us to go ahead and be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Hasn't got anything to do with who's in and who's out. Who can be and who can't be. That's none of my business. I leave that to God. No scripture, Spurgeon said, is exhausted by a single explanation. The flowers of God's garden bloom not only double but sevenfold. They're continually pouring forth fresh fragrance. He's not saying it's a private interpretation. He's saying this. There are Many applications to the truth. Many applications. As the Spirit of God enables us to compare Scripture with Scripture and rightly divide the word of truth, we grow in our depths of understanding and application of the word of God. And today we should grow a little bit more. And next time, and the time after, and the time after, and the time after. Back to Moody for just a second. A man came to him with a difficult passage and said, Moody, what do you do with that? And he said, I do not do anything with it. How do you understand it? He said, I do not understand it. How do you explain it? I do not explain it. What do you do with it? I do not do anything. You do not believe it, do you? Oh, yes, I believe it. I just don't discard it. Amen. And that's where we need to be with God's Word. Believe all of it, cover to cover. While we were out there, Brother Tyler, you remember, you remember the Muslim that came by? I eventually made a friend out of him. But he came by, we asked him the three questions. He says, you have asked me three questions, now I will ask you a question. And he said, can God create a rock that's too big for him to pick up? And I just turned my head and I laughed. I said, that, that ridiculous question? And God bless Tyler Candy. This young man, wise beyond his years, stepped up and said, Sir, the Lord Jesus already holds the whole universe in his hands. Why should we be concerned about some rock that you're talking about? 
He says, well, I was just leading into this. Other. But he, he nailed him. Thank you, Tyler. Amen. Amen. I was just leading into my next question. Can God have a son? Ah, I knew where he was going. Because you see, they teach that Allah had no son. And my answer was this. We're not dealing with logic or with how your mind works or how my mind works. We're dealing, dealing with what God says in his word. And the Bible says that God has his only begotten son. Jesus Christ is God the son. And of course, that kind of effectively ended the conversation. I said, here, let me walk you out. And so I walked him out and we went out the door and he had his own stand there. And after about 15 minutes of talking to him, we were not in agreement, but we were friends. We were friends. And I explained it to him so he understood where we're coming from. And he said, it all comes down to this. And Brother Tyler used this uh, on some folks later on. It all comes down to this. He says, on Judgment Day. I said, yes, what on Judgment Day? He says, well, God will come. I will be sleeping in the grave. Wrong. But he says, I will be in the grave and the angel will come with the record. And he will say, who was your God? What was, who was your prophet? What was your book? He says, and if I have the right answer, I go to heaven. If I have the wrong answer, I go to hell. I said, no, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. We know right now what's going to happen on Judgment Day. Because Jesus paid it all. The son that God had is perfect. He took all of my sins. And if you'll receive him, he'll take your sins too. And he'll forgive you those sins and come into your life. I'm so glad that we've got a Bible that is superior to everything, including human religious logic that is false and flawed. Believe it. Behave it. Broadcast it. Amen? Amen? Believe it, behave it, and broadcast it. I'm glad we've got a Bible that we believe, and we tell you why we believe it. Because it is without error, and God has promised to keep it, to guard it. It is preserved. I thank God for all those who have helped us come to this understanding. And even though there are still those things that God is revealing, thank God for everything that he has illuminated. It's not the parts I don't understand that give me concern. As one Bible scholar said, it's the parts that I do understand. We have a responsibility, <laughs> amen, to do as God has said. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Every head bowed, every eye closed. And how many of you tonight would say, Preacher, something in the message spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up high. Something spoke to my heart. Amen. And we are so glad that God is speaking to hearts. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you call right now? Just say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. Please come into my heart. Take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. And if you prayed that prayer and would like to profess Christ publicly, will you come from where you are and tell me that? If you desire to come and pray about any matter, you're welcome to do so.
Oh, oh.